0: The title of this message today is A Tree of Healing. A Tree of Healing. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word from 2 Kings chapter 6? If you're able to stand. And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See, now the place where we dwell is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, pick it up for yourself, so he reached out his hand and took it. You can be seated. This passage is full of New Covenant typology, and what that means is that it's an Old Testament story that shines light on a new testament truth the story starts with a desire for a new place to grow because the sons of the prophets or the school of the prophets had outgrown the place that they were in see now the place where we dwell or live is too small for us the kingdom of god is always growing and it all its growth causes expansion The place where they were was too small. They outgrew it. So they looked to God's messenger for permission to move to a new place to build. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there or a tree limb from there and let us make there a place where we may live. So he answered, go. When I... uh, Felt this burden starting to grow in me about two years ago. I didn't know what, what God was doing. But he had planted something in me at a time where I surrendered my life afresh to him. I just said, God, I give you everything. I give you my future, my business, my house, my wealth, my life, my family. I give you everything. And God started doing something in me. There was a stirring that started happening and I didn't fully understand it. It took me a year of praying through to understand that he wanted me to start a church. So he began with putting a desire in my heart. When God's kingdom is growing, when it's growing in you personally, he begins by putting a burden or a desire in you. You may not know what it is at first. You may not know what it means. But as you seek the Lord, it will grow in you. And it will cla- he'll give you clarity in what that burden is. So I was seeking God's confirmation. I, was, I, was, I went to my pastor early on at the advice of another friend of mine. He said, why don't you, bring in, you know, bring in your pastor and just tell him what you're praying about, what you're thinking about. Tell him what you don't understand and pray together with him. And so I did that. So when you start to have a burden, it's an awesome thing to come to your spiritual elders and, or your, your pastor and say, hey, would you pray with me about this burden that's growing in me? I don't have clarity yet, but I have a desire. And here's what I do have clarity on. Here's where I'm lacking clarity. Go, to, go, go in submission to God's authority in, in your life and ask them to come alongside you to pray. And God let me do that with Pastor Terry Fisher, and he was great. He just said, oh, that's exciting. I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. And as my burden got clear, as the Lord showed me to start a church, he he said, I'm with you in this. I stand with you in this. I believe it's God's will as well. And at the right time, he ordained me as a pastor. He put confidence in me. And he even did it in faith because there were other voices around him that were saying, I'm not sure about that guy, and I don't blame them. So... But God was faithful through me submitting to my covering to clarify things. And not only did he support me in prayer, they, as a church, supported us financially. In fact, for the first year, they gave us $1,000 per month in in, in our first year. So we got $12,000 to help us as we were babies in this church. And so I'm thankful for that that spiritual covering. I'm thankful for that, that practical help as well. And so the prophets did the same thing. They went to their, their spiritual elder, which was Elisha, and they said, hey, we, we have a burden in us. This place is too small, and we have a burden to grow, to expand. And, and they came to the prophet Elisha, and he said, go. I give you my blessing. Go with this. This is from God. But we need more than a burden, and we need more than a green light from, spirit, from our spiritual elders. We need the presence of God. This one prophet in that group that schooled the prophets had the wisdom to say this in verse 3. Please consent to go with your servants. I love that. They didn't just say, we had a burden and we got permission and now we're going. We're just going to do this. They said, go with us. Elisha represented the presence of God. And, they, and this one prophet said, I'm, we're not going unless you go with us. Would you go with us? And the prophet said, Yes. I'll go with you. It reminds me of Moses when God said, these people are so rebellious, I'm going to be faithful to my promise to bring them into the land that I swore to them. But they're so rebellious that I'm going to send an angel before you and he's going to lead you into the land. You just follow his guidance. And Moses said, no, no, Lord. He said, no, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. You must go with us. So when God gives you a burden and you submit it to spiritual authority and he gives you clarity to move forward and you have a green light, make sure that you say, God, unless you go with me, I'm not going. I need your presence. I need your presence not once at the beginning of this work, but I need your, con- your continual presence. Praise God. There are many who are attempting to build the kingdom without depending on the presence of Jesus. Jesus. And this error builds ministries of wood, hay, and stubble. Some might grow into great piles of wood, great piles of hay, great piles of stubble. But unless the presence of Jesus is leading, it doesn't matter how big of the pile is, it's still just wood, hay, and stubble. He must go with us and before us. And having the presence of Jesus is not some complicated thing. You don't need a degree for it. He's just waiting for our sincere and earnest invitation. Look at Luke 24:28 and 29. It says then they drew near to the village where they were going and he or Jesus indicated that he would have gone on further. This is the story of the two disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his crucifixion and his resurrection, it says that their eyes were held that they couldn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus is walking with them and they're talking about all that they had hoped that Jesus would do with Jesus, but they didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus is acting like a stranger. He says, well, tell me, what happened? And they're walking along and they get to the place of their destination and the three of them are together and Jesus acts like he's going to go farther. And he says, and it says, listen to verse 29, but they constrained him and they said, abide with us or stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And it says, and he went in to stay with them. And it was when Jesus spent more time with them that he broke the bread and they reve- it was revealed to them, it was Jesus. It was an incredible encounter with the resurrected Christ. Listen, imagine if they had just been like, oh, that was nice and nice talking to you. Have a good day. not that what we do sometimes with Jesus? It's like we have a little bit of, of experience or encounter with Jesus and, and maybe we don't fully even know that it's him and, and we're just like, oh, well, I got to get going on this. I got to continue on my journey. But they were wise and they constrained him to stay with them, to abide with them. Constrain has the idea of a forceful yet humble request. Not, do you think you might want to stay with us? I mean, it would be kind of cool if you stayed a little bit longer. But no, please, please stay with us. We, We really want you to continue in our company. That's the kind of invitation. Jesus says, I'm going to go a little farther. And when he gets an invitation like that from us saying, I must have you stay longer with me. I need your presence. He says, okay, I'll stay with you. I'll stay with you. You persuaded me. Let's go back to our story in 2 Kings 6, 4. So he went with them. The prophet Elisha went with the sons of the prophets or the the school of the prophets. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. They were in the early stages of preparing to build. They were working together for one purpose. But the enemy, listen, the enemy will always work to hinder the forward progress of the kingdom. Are you under attack from the enemy on a relentless basis? That's an indicator that you're on the right path. That's an indicator that you are moving forward in God. If the enemy leaves you alone, that's an indication that you're no threat to his kingdom. He's just like, well, yeah, there's, there's pew Peter. He doesn't really bother me. I mean, he just all he does is, is he sits in the pew. He doesn't pray. He doesn't seek me. He doesn't, he doesn't seek to go deeper in God. He's not a a threat. Why should I bother him? Just leave him alone. He's sleeping really nicely. Right? But when you're moving forward in God, when you're seeking God, when you're constraining Jesus to say, be with me, Jesus. I need more of you in my life. When you begin to do that, the enemy is going to seek to stomp on you because you are growing in grace and becoming a threat to the kingdom of darkness. So don't be surprised when you get attacked and beat up and and the enemy's throwing false lies and thoughts in your mind. Don't be surprised. Resist him, submit to God, and humble yourself. And God's going to give you grace to keep going in him, keep growing in him, and keep becoming what he wants you to be in Christ. Listen to verse 5. Oh, I wanted to say this about how the enemy what the enemy's tactic is. He attacks us by trying to separate things that, are, that only work when they're together. Do you know there's some things that only work when they're together? They have to be made into one in order to work. Listen, verse 5. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron or the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, or Elisha, it was borrowed. I don't even own that axe. And now the head has fallen into the, the water of the Jordan River, and it's lost. That guy that borrowed it to me expected it back. So the iron axe head flew off the handle in the middle of working to build a new place. It flew into the water of the Jordan and was lost. Listen, an axe is made of two simple parts. Just like my carpenter's hammer. It's made of a wood handle and a steel or an iron head. If you separate those two things, the tool is useless. I've had very nice wood-handled hammers that had a titanium head, and, and when the head gets loose and comes off, well, now it's useless until I replace the handle. The axe head and the handle are types of the members in the body of Christ which he has joined together to build his kingdom. These two parts represent the unity of the body of Christ. When we are joined together in strong relationships, we become mighty tools to build the kingdom. But when we are separated and pulled apart, the work can't go on. Satan knows this better than we do. We let him create little rifts and divisions and separations, and we say, well, I could live without that person. No, you can't. No, you can't. The ax head without the handle is useless. You can't go up to a tree with the handle without the ax head and go whack, 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 whack. It's not gonna do anything. You're gonna be banging on that thing a long time before it ever comes off. Why did the ax head fly off the handle? Well, why would a a hammerhead or an axe head fly off a handle in regular life? Why? It was loose. There wasn't a strong bond, right? There just wasn't a strong bond. The handle wasn't tightly connected to the axe head. Paul tells us in Colossians that love... Or charity is the bond of perfection. It's what holds things together. It's what holds the kingdom together. It's what holds the people in the kingdom together. It's our bond of love. So when the axe head separated from the handle, it means there was a loose connection. It means the love was pretty weak. You know how a, a, a wood-handled hammer is connected to the, the the head is connected to the wood handle. Well, in the old days, they used nails. They would, they would take a nail and they would pound it. There'd be a hole in the top of the handle, the axe head, and then the handle would come up through it, and you'd see the wood at the top of the, uh, the axe head, and then they would pound a nail into it, and that pressure would create tight, a tight bond, stronger than glue, between the iron and the wood. And actually, they still use that ancient method today. My titanium handle is held together the same way with pieces of metal being driven into the wood. Guess what? Your bond is strengthened through trials. Your bond is strengthened through the nails of Jesus Christ. They're the cross of Jesus Christ in your life. Guess what? In a family, where where there's a family, there's supposed to be commitment. There's supposed to be love. That's why you'll find this in good families, that even though they're a good family and they're a strong family, they might fight once in a while. They might have disagreements once in a while. They might, they might not, it might not always be pretty. There might be some ugly in it, but guess what? They're committed to each other and they're going to work it out and they're going to come to a place where they say, I love you. I, I'm sorry, I was wrong and I got angry over this. And they work through conflict in order to stick together. That's important in the body of Christ as well, that we work through conflict because we are human and we're all being changed and conformed into the image of God and all that gook and goo that she was talking about, that's the old stuff of our identity, is cut off in Jesus. But it's also cut off through it coming to the surface and being revealed and then us seeing, oh God, this is still in me. Would you you totally separate me from this old identity? and let me walk in my new identity, my new creation in Christ Jesus. Listen, the world's love is a 50-50 love. It's a I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Calvary love is I'll lay down my life 100% for you no matter what I get back. That's what Jesus did. That's what he calls us to do. It doesn't work, guys, in a marriage to say, this is a 50-50 thing. How much did you earn this week? How much did I earn this week? How much are you putting into this? How much house cleaning are you doing versus my house cleaning? No, it's a, I will lay down my life for you, like Jesus did. Why do marriages fall apart? Why do friendships end? Why do sincere believers working to build the kingdom end up as cold as the axe head laying at the bottom of the Jordan? Well, it takes, there's an old saying says it takes two to tango or two to fight, but it only takes one to break the bond of love. If we are weak in Calvary love, we are prone to be separated from those that we need to build the kingdom. We need axe heads connected to axe handles. The man cried to Elisha, alas, master, it was borrowed. The the axe head and the handle was borrowed. Every good thing we think is ours is actually borrowed from a gracious creator. Your spouse, your best friend, your brother, your sister, they're all gifts from God. Do you understand that? Don't take them for granted. They are borrowed to you for a season, and God is going to want them back with interest. Don't take these relationships for granted. This connection to you and your friend or your spouse or your family, it's a gift from God. And he wants it together. He wants it together. How can we live with it separated? God's looking for it to be returned to him with interest. I thank God that he is the God of reconciliation. Do you know what that word means? He brings things that are separated back together. To, to reconcile means to take those that are at variance or at war and to return them to be, to be in favor with one another, to be at peace, to be reconciled into one. Praise God. God wants to take two parts and make them one. I thank God that he's the God of reconciliation. He brings things that are separated back together. He starts by reconciling sinners who were once far off from him. He goes after those that were sitting cold, dead, and alone at the bottom of an ocean of sin. Romans 5.10 says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, that means two parties at enmity, us against God because of our sin, reconciled to God, brought back to peace with God through the death of his Son, made one with God to the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Second Kings, let's go back there, 6.6, 6, says, So the man of God, or Elisha, said to this man who lost the axe head, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, and he threw it in there, and he made the iron float or swim. Imagine that. Imagine this iron axe head at the bottom of the Jordan River. How deep it was, I don't know. It was 15 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, I don't know. But it was unable to be seen from the surface. It was, it was hidden, it was lost. And the man of God takes this stick, or this, and actually it's translated as a branch or tree. And he takes this stick and he's, he just says, where, what, where did you lose it? He says, over there. He throws the branch or the tree, part of the tree, on the water. And and there's that that branch floating, and the axe head just moves. It's it's it floats. That which is denser and heavier against nature miraculously floats up to the wood. Then he says, "Pick it up for yourself." So he reached out his hand and he took it. How easy was that for the man? The hard work was done by the miracle of that branch being put on the water and that which was lost coming to the surface. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says that a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. When you have two people that are at variance because of a disagreement or a hurt or an insult, it can last years where people don't talk to each other, where the ax head and the, and the stick or the, the handle are separated. Because the walls of an offense, they're, they're so strong and they're so hard to break down. What was the solution? What made that which was hard or impossible easy? See, it's easy just to reach out your hand and take an axe head that's floating. What made that so easy? It was the stick. It was the branch. It was the tree that made the axe head float. And what does that tree represent? The cross. Right? Jesus' cross. It's the cross of Jesus by which we were reconciled to God. It's the cross of Jesus that reconciles relationships between people. It's the cross of Jesus that reconciles nations that are hostile to each other and races. Did you know what the answer is to racism in America between black and white, Hispanic and black, or whatever it is? or Jew and Gentile, Jew uh, the Jew and the Palestinian, you know what the answer to racism is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where he takes the two and he makes them one. He brings them back together. Praise God. Praise God. The cross raises dead things and lost things from the depths of impossibility. Lost things are irresistibly drawn to the cross. An offended brother is harder to win than a fortified city with an army. But when the cross is brought to the conflict, heavy and lost and impossible things float. Jesus' cross does the heavy lifting. And our part is just extend your hand in humble obedience and take it back. Take it back. Will you humble yourself? Will you be the person that says, what this relationship needs is the cross of Jesus Christ? And then pray to the Holy Spirit, show me how to apply this. Show me how to humble myself and to bring your cross to this relationship so that that which is lost can float and I can touch it again and we can be restored and made into an ax that has a handle and a head. Christianity is not only about us being reconciled back to God, but about us taking on his heart and joining him in the ministry of reconciliation. Friend, it's a wonderful thing what God has done for us, but but falsely it has been taught and preached that it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's about what Christ will do in you so that he can be glorified and touch others and bring glory to his Father. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of of Christ compels us. What drives you? Is it a desire to look good in, in the church, or is it the love of Christ that compels you? Because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Did you see that? He died for us that we should no longer live for ourselves. It's not just all about us, guys. It's about us living like Jesus, living sacrificially, laying down our lives so that his spirit and his power can reconcile others through his cross. True Christianity calls us to lay down ourselves, living for ourselves, and to live for the purposes of Jesus. God has a purpose for your life, and it's more than your nine-to-five job. Monday through Friday. It's more than your career. It's more than what you earn. It's more than what you buy and your assets. It's more than this life. It's living for his eternal kingdom and glory. Verse 16, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer I wonder how many loose connections and flying axe heads are because we fail to view each other in the spirit rather than according, or we fail to view each other, we fail to view each other in the spirit and instead we view each other after the flesh. We see each other's faults. We see where, where that's not yet been fully sanctified in our brother or sister. We say, oh, all I see is that. And you hear some testimony about God working in their life or they testify and you go, hmm, I know what they're like at home. And that's viewing people after the flesh. To see them after the Spirit, we say, I see Christ. I see the seed of Christ in them. I see growth in them. And I'm going to rejoice in that rather than rejoice in, in where they still need to, to grow. Amen? Let's, not, let's, let's believe God's goodness and in, in, in God, in Christ in each other. And my friends, I just want to insert this here. The Lord wants us to walk in such a love toward each other, such an acceptance of each other, such an affirmation of each other that, that if, if you don't say hi to that brother or sister on Sunday because it's you just, whatever, you were busy with other things and you didn't see, they're they're not even worried about it. They're like, I know they love me. I know that I'm secure in their love. But see if we don't express that love and create that secure bond and relationship then you might just be busy and look away and not see that person and they're like oh man I, I wonder if they're mad at me well why do they feel that way maybe it's because we haven't been consistently expressing the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ to make them feel secure do you hear what I'm saying we can all grow in this can't we Church, can't we all grow in this? To be expressing the love of God and the acceptance of Christ toward each other so that people are like, man, I just, I love being around that person. And if, I, if, they, miss, if they miss me, I know they love me. There's a security in that. We need to grow in that, church. Listen, verse 17. Therefore, if, I mean, we must be preaching on this almost every Sunday. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Christ is our new identity. His character being formed in us is the fruit of knowing our identity in him and in others. Knowing our new identity does not produce a boastful attitude that says, Don't tread on me. I'm a child of the king. I'm a king's kid. No, it produces a Calvary love that says, If you hurt me, I will still love you. By God's grace, I'll forgive you and I'll turn my heart to stay open to you. I won't let that connection get loose. I won't let the axe head fly off. Now all things are of God, verse 18, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has, listen, given us the ministry of reconciliation. Friend, every single one of you in here that is born again has a ministry of reconciliation. When someone says, well, what, what do you do? Do you have a ministry? Say, yes, I've got a ministry of reconciliation. I've got a ministry. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ to bring the cross to people so that the axe head floats and they're brought back to God and so that relationships are brought back into oneness. You have a ministry of reconciliation. I have a ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what an ambassador does? Just what the country That they represent has told them to do they don't go to another country and then start giving out their own thoughts and their own ideas they are representing a sovereign country and they're saying what they're told to say that's what we are to do we are to represent Jesus Christ the purpose of your new identity and my new identity is not to go around say oh look at this beautiful new identity I have it's to show Jesus Christ to each other and to this world It's to show Calvary love, that when it's hurt, it forgives and keeps on loving. Look at verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. In other words, not charging them with their sins and has committed to us the word of reconciliation because he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at Jesus' examples. What did he do? He didn't impute their sins to them. He didn't impute your sins to you or my sins to me. He came to us with grace and with mercy, and he took our sins upon himself. So that's how we are to walk in this ministry of reconciliation, not going around like religious snob knobs, pointing out everybody's faults. No, but not imputing there's sins then. Is there sin there? Oh yes. Oh yes, there's faults, there's sins. You don't have to look very far. But Jesus went around acting like there wasn't sin. Look at how he dealt with his disciples. If he corrected them every time he saw sin, he would have been blasting them all the time. The most of the time that he corrected them was because of their lack of faith. Right? Why? Because he wasn't imputing their transgressions to them. He was letting grace do a work in them, and grace would be what would expose their sin and bring conviction and bring them to a place where they said, God, take the sin away from me. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness or become the righteousness of God in him. Listen. God made Jesus a sin sponge. Think about that. God made Jesus a sin sponge. He took his only son who had no fault, no failure, and he said, I'm going to place on you the sins of the whole world. And Jesus said, yes, Lord. Jesus said, I will take their sins upon me. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't tell the Father, okay, Lord, Father, I'm willing to take all the past sins of the world upon myself. I'm willing to give them a clean start and to forgive them of everything they did to me, every vile thing they did, every curse, everything that they did against me, every hurt, I'm willing to take it all upon myself. But imagine if he said, after I've shown such love and sacrifice, if they offend me again, if they, if they sin against me after I've shown them this much love, I, I, I can't handle it, Father. Father. I can't keep forgiving them. I can't keep taking their injuries. Thanks be to God that Jesus' love is not like that. Thanks be to God that it keeps taking our blows. It keeps absorbing and washing our sins away. That is Calvary love. It's not, I forgive you, but if you do it again, I'm done with you. That's carnal love. That's not Calvary love. Calvary love is if you keep hurting me, I'm going to keep loving you. This is the power of the cross to bring us back to God and back to each other. This kind of love makes the axe float. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation to the world and a lot there's a lot of ministry that's all about evangelism and going out and mission work and I'm all for that. We need, to be, we need to be a church that takes the gospel outside of the four walls. We need to be a, a people that, that think about um, ministering the gospel, not just in, in organized times or reduced outreaches, but in everyday life, when you're at the food store, when you're at your workplace, when you're talking to people on the phone, all the time, take the word of God out. Take it, take it out. But listen, if we won't show this love of Christ to our families And in the church of the firstborn, how can we take the gospel outside? How can we we be so loving to some stranger when we won't do it in our own family? Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, guys, this is the heart of Jesus Christ. It's to take that which is separated and reconcile it. Bring it back together so that it can be beautiful in his eyes and useful for his work. Ephesians 2.13, my last verses. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. The axe head is floated. You were once afar off from God, and he brought you back to God. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, in this passage, he's talking about both as two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And we talked this morning, there's a war going on right now between Jews and Palestinians. It's the cross that brings them back together in one. Having abolished, verse 15, in his flesh the enmity, that is the hostility, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself, in himself, one new man from the two, thus making peace. God is about tearing down walls of offense and reconciling opposing parties into one. He died to do this with nations, with races, with families, with spouses, and with friends. When we resist this, we resist his very heart and purpose in dying. We resist the cross. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached, preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. The more we grow in our identity in Jesus, the more we will look and act like him. A mature person in Jesus Christ will become a peacemaker. They won't be at peace with not having Peace. They will look for ways to cast the cross over lost relationships and lost people. They will not go around charging people's sins, pointing out people's sins against them, but will point them to the one who washes and reconciles us to himself. As we build this church in the Spirit, listen, there's going to be loose handles that need to be tightened. They need some nails pounded into the wood so that that connection is strong in the bond of love And there's going to be some axe heads that fly off into the waters of separation. That's what the enemy's about. But if we apply the cross, we will see the miracle of axe heads floating and reconnecting with their handles. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for, I know that this is the heart of God. I know, Lord Jesus, that you have reconciled us to yourself to make us ministers of reconciliation. You give us a new identity in Christ so that we reflect who you are as ambassadors for you. Father, I believe that there are relationships in people in this house, Lord, maybe outside of the church, maybe some inside the church, where the axe head is separated from the handle, where the tool is no longer useful in your hand or beautiful. And Lord, you want to reconcile. You want to make the axe head float, God, so that it can be taken by the hand and put back together. Lord, I thank you that your conviction is strong, but it is also not harsh. God, I pray that we'd be a people that move and respond to your Spirit's word, to the voice of Jesus. I'm opening this altar for you to come if you want the Lord to work on you. Maybe there's a relationship that came to mind as I was preaching that you know the the axe head's floating. It's not floating, it's in the bottom of the water and you know that it needs an application of the cross of Jesus Christ to reconcile your relationship with this person it might be in your family it might be a friend but God wants you to reconcile to do which as far as it depends on you scripture says live at peace with all men As far as it depends on you, there are situations where your heart is right, you're applying the cross, you're humbling yourself. And so that's so powerful when you humble yourself. That's so powerful to bring down walls. But there are times where a person will say, I don't want to reconcile with you no matter what. And then your hands are clean. You've done what you can. And you've applied the cross. So it's only up to God to reconcile that relationship. But friend, have you done everything you can to apply the cross? Have you humbled yourself? Have you obeyed the voice of Jesus? We talked about what the Father said on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Will you listen to the voice of Jesus today and ask Him to apply the cross to this relationship so that you can be healed and so that you can become the minister of reconciliation He wants you to be.